All right. Um, so I may answer some questions uh, that you had today. One of the things about going through Acts and studying the Holy Spirit is that it's different than going through Paul's letters and studying the Holy Spirit. Um, because Luke is not as concerned with um, really filling out a, a, a complete understanding of every way that the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives and everything that is significant about the Holy Spirit in, in salvation and coming to the Lord and, and having a relationship with God. Um, what he is interested in, in highlighting about the Holy Spirit is its role in the mission of the church. Okay, so Paul, as we get into Paul's letters, um, he will fill out for us an understanding of the full work of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. Um, Luke, for us, is, is spelling out how the Holy Spirit was involved in the, the early birth and spread of the church. So it's easy to get confused when you're looking at uh, stories like we're going to talk about this week. For example, when, when Philip goes down to Samaria and he preaches, and there are some people that kind of have some understanding, but then they don't really have the full understanding, and then he prays, and it seems like they're already saved, but then they pray again, and then something else happens, and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's like, what is that? Is, is, are these two different things? Or I thought because you know, when you're saved, it seems like that's a work of the Holy Spirit, like you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8 that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him, right? So it, it doesn't seem like the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all there is about the Holy Spirit, but it is a definite thing. And so don't look for, don't look for a very systematic treatment of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. It is a, uh, it's this, the classic difference between a descriptive book versus a prescriptive manual, right? It is not a manual and a prescription on here's how it should go in every circumstance. It is a description of what happened, right? He is a historian, and it's a, it's a well-documented, well-researched history, very accurate. And so one of the things that you see in Acts is that it's different. It's different in every situation. It's a li there's, a, there's different nuances to when the Holy Spirit falls. Sometimes uh, it's right after baptism or right alongside with baptism. Sometimes there's been some sort of conversion, but then also later, some work of the Holy Spirit. Um, don't get caught up in the exact categories, okay? That's, that's not what Luke has set out to do, and, and the book will crumble under the weight of that kind of questioning. It just doesn't hold up. Read it as a description of what happened, okay? Uh, Paul will fill out for us a more full understanding of the Holy Spirit as we go. So, uh, today, I just want to fly through um, this middle section of Acts where you remember the broad outline of Acts. Wait in Jerusalem till you receive uh, the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses. You'll be clothed with the power from on high to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So the Judea and Samaria portion is where I want to focus today. And we'll go quick. You know, I, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to take a long time. We got the, we got the kids and, and everyone. Uh, we're all excited for mommy to get home. Um, so at the end of chapter, well, in, in, in chapter 6, at uh, verse 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That kind of ties up the Jerusalem section. Okay, we're, Then we're going to move. What has just happened is it has grown to the point where they needed to appoint the, the first deacons of the church. That's the last thing that happens in that Jerusalem section. Uh, two of the deacons are then, uh, we, we get a glimpse into their ministry, right? And this is interesting when you th- think about a deacon, right? We usually think of a deacon as like, oh, he's the practical guy. Well, Stephen is standing up and preaching one of the greatest sermons on the Old Testament that we have recorded. Philip is going all over the place, um, and he uh, is being moved around by the Holy Spirit um, and is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, and he is preaching, and revivals are happening. Like, Holy Spirit revivals are happening. So these deacons are not blue-collar, you know, they, they don't fit into that mold. They are very evangelistic and filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So I think that's interesting. Uh, for some reason, we have made deacon into like this, they're the grunt work people, and then you have the academic people who really know how to preach. No, these deacons knew how to preach, and they brought the word in a way that brought the Holy Spirit. Uh, so for whatever that's worth, I think that's interesting. Um, the deacons needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. That was one of the qualifications uh, for being a deacon. So it says uh, in verse 8 of chapter 6, Stephen, he was full of grace and power. Full of grace and power. And was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool deacon. <laughs> and in fact, we don't, get, we don't see them much handling that waiting of tables and service type stuff. <laughs> this is interesting to me. That's what they were appointed to do, but what, what's recorded about them is these great signs and wonders. So Stephen, we know he's the first martyr, okay? And he, uh, what's significant about him for the, the movement of the story of Acts is that he preaches from the Old Testament. Uh, he, he highlights the fact that you are, you've always even in the Old Testament, he says to the, these Pharisees, he says, you have always resisted the Holy Spirit. And he, and he makes sure to, to bring that in. So it's always been the work of the Holy Spirit, and you've, you've been resisting that work. The, the Holy Spirit is, is sent from God to establish the kingdom of God, to be the center of the people of God, and, and it's the Holy Spirit that these Jews, uh, these Pharisees have been rejecting. And that's his accusation. He said, you, always, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. So this isn't just a new thing, right, the Holy Spirit. He's saying it's always been the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is another place where we get a glimpse of Luke saying that the Holy Spirit is behind everything that has been happening in history up to this point. Uh, Pentecost, there's a new wave of the Spirit, but it's always been the Holy Spirit. Uh, Whenever there was a pillar of fire and cloud, that's the Holy Spirit. Whenever the spirits of God were hovering over the waters of creation, that's the Holy Spirit. Whenever the finger of God wrote the law on the tablets that Moses, that's the Holy Spirit. So it's always the Holy Spirit that is, is going out to establish the kingdom of God and the people of God. So Stephen says that, and basically, he says, you guys have gotten caught up too much in the fact that you're trying to build the house of God physically. 
Well, guess what? God doesn't live in physical houses. And he is establishing his house, and what you're focusing on is not a part of it. You're outside the circle. God's doing a new thing, and you're resisting it. He's moving on. He's moving outside of you. The curtain has been torn, right? And so they get really angry at this, and they stone him. So he's the first martyr, but it's that stoning. Look at verse uh, chapter 8. By the way, he says, uh, well, let me just read the last part of chapter 7. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is a really significant thing because we always see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. He is standing in honor of what Stephen is doing, right? He is honoring Stephen, and Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus standing up in honor of what he's doing. Um, And he says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they rushed together at him. This sounds exactly like the mob that that kills Jesus, right? They don't care what he's saying. They they are so enraged and so full of opposition that they just, they shut their ears and they they rush at him. And they they stone him. And it says they lay down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now this is, there will be more on Saul later after we hear about Philip. But here Saul is put into the story. At the, at the first martyrdom of a Christian, Saul is right there going, yay. He is approving of it. He is saying, yes, this is what needs to happen. <clears throat> now, Saul is a Pharisee. Saul is one of these people that Stephen is preaching at and accusing. Uh, he's kind of a bigwig, and he's, a, he's highly intellectual. He's very powerful uh, in the scriptures and everything. And, G- and uh, Stephen, he calls out to Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is the same thing that Jesus says when he's on the cross. And falling to his knee, he, cri- he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Right? So this is a picture of the church participating in the things that Jesus did and said. I mean, we think of acts and we think of miracles. And pa- well, Stephen is dying in a, very, in, a, in a way very reminiscent of the way that Jesus himself died at the hands of uh, people who think they know God but don't and are enraged at truth. Um, and, he, and also, as he's dying, he says, don't hold their sin against them. Father, forgive them. Okay. Now, this is, this is important. Uh, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So at this stoning, this sets off this great persecution. You know what, we need to, this church has been flourishing in Jerusalem, and all through that first part, they've gotten more and more opposition. Well, now it has, now it's gotten really bad. Someone's dying. Someone has died for the faith. And so they're dispersed, okay, and they're scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And if you've read the first part of Acts, you go, ah, this is how God is spreading the kingdom. So this act of martyrdom and persecution ends up accomplishing God's purpose, which is exactly what the cross does. The cross does. Um, When darkness tries to stamp out 
the work of God, it ends up accelerating the work of God, <laughs> right? Because Jesus has, has defeated death, and death is only an accelerant for the kingdom of God now. So they're scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles stay in Jerusalem, kind of hold down the fort, but the believers are going to the widespread. And there's a few thousand at this point, right? But then they get scattered through the area. Now we're going we're gonna to meet, as we go along through the story of Acts, we're going to meet pockets of them around these different areas. Like Priscilla and Aquila, they had left because of a persecution. They had gone out into uh, Macedonia, and Paul encounters them later. You know, this would be like, I don't know, 20 years later or something. But because of this persecution, the gospel begins to spread uh, where it's never spread before. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's awesome. They didn't go and hide in caves. They went about, well, we're leaving Jerusalem. Let's go... <laughs> Let's go preach. We had to get out of here, but hey, we still need to keep preaching. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are emboldened to be witnesses, and they keep, they, they keep doing it throughout all the region. Now, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, okay? Now, Samaritans are sort of a half-breed, right? And so, like, the gospel sort of leaving Jerusalem, but then partially going to the Gentiles. And then we're going to get a full transition to the Gentiles here in a few chapters, but Philip goes down, uh, and this is where a revival happens. There's Simon the magician. He sees what they're doing by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says, hey, I want that power. And this is a perfect example of someone treating the Holy Spirit like an impersonal force. I talked about that last week. And basically, uh, Philip says, no, this is, that is a wicked way to view the Holy Spirit, to desire just this power to come and empower your agenda. That's the utmost of wickedness. Do you see that? And so whenever we, whenever we just want the power of the Holy Spirit to come and do for us what we want it to do for us, that's wickedness, right? That's, that's witchcraft. To try and to get spiritual power behind a very uh, fleshly, self-centered uh, life. That's not what the Holy Spirit is here to do. The Holy Spirit is here to empower the work of Jesus in our lives. Um, and so that's the, that's the error of Simon the magician. Um, Philip also encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. Right now, this guy really is a Gentile, full-on Gentile uh, from Africa, right, Ethiopia. Uh, he's in the, he is in the court of a Gentile queen, Candace. And he's writing, for some reason, he has a copy of Isaiah, and he's reading from Isaiah. And full of the Holy Spirit, uh, Philip goes over and he explains Jesus from uh, the book of Isaiah. And this guy believes, and then he's baptized. So Samaria, Ethiopian eunuch, that's Philip's, uh, that's Philip's contribution to the spread of the kingdom, we're, we're hitting Judea and Samaria at this point. Then we, then we go back to Saul in chapter 9. And this is where, so chapter 9 and chapter 10 are where the full transition starts to happen from primarily Jerusalem to 
hey, listen, we're going to the Gentiles. This thing is going worldwide. So Saul, in chapter 9, is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked for him letters, basically warrants, uh, to arrest and imprison people who said they belonged to the way, which was the first, uh, that was really one of the first ways that people identified themselves with, uh, with Christianity. They didn't call themselves Christians. That didn't happen until Antioch. They called themselves belonging to the way, which I like that, um, because it's a whole different way of living. Um, and to, to me, that, that captures what we're calling people to. Hey, you, you are living in a particular way. Here's another way of living. And, it, and it's totally different than your way. We belong to this way. We are walking on this way. Jesus is in front of us on the way. Right? And you remember in Luke, a lot of it had to do with the way to Jerusalem, the road toward Jerusalem. We are on this road. That's what a way is. It's a road, same word in, in uh, Greek. So it's the road. We belong to the road. We're on the path together. And we are disciples. We're following him. We are led by the Holy Spirit. Come join us on this way. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we won't get into this story, uh, but Paul gets knocked off his horse. Right? And Jesus himself appears to him. And uh, this happens, uh, this is the only one in the, in the New Testament that this happens this dramatically to, at least that's recorded. Because Paul was significant to the purpose of God. And, and, and God had his finger on Paul for a long time. And now is the time for him to act and intervene in Paul's life. And so he, he goes and he says... Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not, why are you anti-Christian? Jesus confronts him. He says, it's me. This is between you and me, buddy. You are persecuting me. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Okay? And this is, this is significant because... Jesus comes and he confronts Paul with a, with a relational and intimate offense. And that's where the gospel needs to hit everyone. Right? We're not going out and preaching that, well, you've broken a moral code. We're going out to say, you have made a separation between yourself and the God who loves you and created you and wants a relationship with you. And Jesus says to everyone, you are persecuting me. This is a personal and relational thing. Now, not, not, all of, not everyone is going to be called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but that, that moment of conversion, I don't think, is unique to Paul. That's the, that's the point that we all need to come to. We need to understand that we stand in opposition, personal opposition, to Jesus himself. And we need to turn, we need to repent and turn away from that. Uh, we don't need to repent of just breaking abstract moral code, although we are doing that. It is a personal offense that we are repenting of. 
Um, so, and the Holy Spirit is all, is all over this, right? He has made a place for Paul to camp out while he's blind for three days. Ananias, and Ananias, he, he tells, he's orchestrating all of this. He's speaking to people, hey, go tell Paul, or go tell Saul, um, that he needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Ananias comes, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, he also came to me, uh, by which he, he sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we have Paul experiencing a conversion, a change of way, right? He's on a road, gets knocked off his horse while he's on that road, and he goes on another road, okay? Right, do you see how he's going to find people on the way? Well, he's on his way, and <laughs> he gets knocked off. Um, immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. So he's converted and then filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, don't get really technical about that, but that's the way it happened. He was converted. For three days, he was blind. And then he was, Ananias laid hands on him, and, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He came, he, he, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. Now this is what Luke really underlines about the Holy Spirit. That people who get filled with the Holy Spirit speak boldly and testify to who Jesus was and is. That is a primary, that's why they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that they weren't converted yet or saved yet it wasn't that they needed to have a prayer language given to them although that happened it was that they needed the power of the holy spirit to be able to speak into an utterly dark place that had no idea who jesus was and was totally opposed to him speak in a way that cut through all that and boldly bear witness to who jesus was to cut through all the darkness and proclaim the light you can't do that in human strength and so the Holy Spirit in Acts, primarily we see people being filled with the Holy Spirit and testifying, sometimes in tongues, yes, but testifying to who Jesus was in a way that causes people to leave their old life and come into the kingdom. Okay, so that is a filling of the Holy Spirit in, in, in Luke's terms. Now, along with that comes power, comes acts and deeds and speaking in tongues and prophecy and everything else. Um, but it's so that the mission can keep going forward. Okay? That's what all of it points to. And even Paul, when he discusses spiritual gifts and tongues and prophecy, he brings it back to the fact it all is to build up what God is doing in the church. There's a mission. There's a purpose. There's a goal. And God is pouring out his spirit so that we can achieve that goal. Because we can't do it apart from him. Okay. Okay. So Saul comes and he goes to Jerusalem and Galatians is interesting. He kind of gives a little more backstory here. Paul gives a little more autobiography, his take on what happened here. But he comes to Jerusalem for a while. The disciples aren't sure what to, to make of it. They're like, wait, no, no, no. You're the guy that was, you know, approving of Stephen's execution. Why should we, why should we accept you? There's spies everywhere. They don't know. But Barnabas, bless his heart, son of encouragement, vouches for Paul. Thank God for Barnabas. 
right? The, the guy that nobody, no one really believed, Barnabas says, I see in him, I really think this is genuine. Right? We need Barnabas in the church. We need people to vouch for the people that no one else really wants to give the time of day to and would rather turn around and run from. Right? God's bringing those people into the church and doing mighty works through those people. Uh, so th- thank God for Barnabas. Surely that was a spiritual thing as well. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And evidence of, of the Holy Spirit, he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas said, I've heard this guy speak. He couldn't do that unless he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a miraculous testimony and witness that demands that we say that is the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, Stephen, Philip, Saul. By the way, my little brother's name is Stephen Philip. I never really put that together. I don't even know if that was the point, but Stephen Philip. That's this point in the story. Uh, Saul becomes Paul. Uh, And then we switch to Peter. We go back to Peter. Okay, so Paul has been given a mission now. He He goes off for a while after this. He goes off, and I think it's like maybe three years. He goes off, and and we don't know. Maybe at this point it's when he's caught up into the third heaven, like he talks about in Corinthians. Uh, But he goes and basically just has a three-year-long CTS (laughs) out in the wilderness and then comes back uh, full of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure where he went. He he did kind of go into the wilderness at some point. Um, We'll talk more about that when we get to Galatians and and Paul's, Paul's biography. But then the, we switch back to Peter, and Peter now needs to understand as well. And he's the apostle, the head apostle, right? I mean, he is on this rock, I will build my church. He's sort of the head of, he's the head of the heads. And um, the Holy Spirit orchestrates this vision that he has, and it has to do with clean and unclean animals, which is, right, one of the a very uh, Old Testament thing. And he basically says, listen, I am making all things clean. Um, this, is, this is fascinating to me. It says that uh, in chapter 10, or no, in, in verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Um, so Peter is in Joppa. He stayed in Joppa, verse 43, he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, do you remember Joppa from anywhere else in the Old Testament? Where? Jonah. What's Jonah's problem? Why didn't he want to go to the Ninevites? Right. He didn't want, he didn't believe the Gentiles deserved to hear the good news. So here's Peter undoing that. Right? He is the head of the church in Jerusalem. Here he is at Joppa. And God says, I'm sending you, this thing's going to all the nations. And Peter undoes Jonah's failure, right? Because uh, Jonah, he sits down, he gets bitter. And this is the problem with the church, with, with the temple in Jerusalem. They, don't, they, they are sealing themselves off from the world. God tears the temple, tears the curtain in half, 
and they're sending it shooting out into the world by power and fire and wind, right? And uh, if you're going to be in the people of God, you have to be on board with his mission to the Gentiles because that's been what the whole thing is about. He chose Israel to make a people for himself as a result of his promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to take you and bless you so that you can be all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. That was always what the, what the purpose of God was. To take a people, to take a family, fill them with everything they needed to be a blessing in the earth, to, to bring everything to right, to get us back to Eden, but even take us beyond that to the city of God so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this is what the whole Old Testament prophetic, this is what it all points to. And so here Peter is, and he recognizes now, this is, this is the purpose of God. Uh, and and it, it takes him a little while to figure it out, but eventually he, he figures it out. Uh, so chapter 10 documents that um, the Holy Spirit orchestrates this, right? The Holy Spirit is behind all of this. He spoke to this guy, he spoke to Peter, and he said, you guys need to go find each other. Uh, Cornelius, you need to go find a guy named Peter. He has something to say to you. Peter, you need to wait for a guy named Cornelius. He's going to come. You need to tell him what you saw. So he tells him about this vision. And uh, in verse 44, chapter 10, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, now this is just a way of saying ethnic Jews, the circumcised. This is going to be important uh, when we get to Paul's letters because uh, this becomes the major issue in the church then. How do Jews and Gentiles relate? Okay, So much of Paul's rhetoric is pointed towards sorting that out. And we always need to keep that in mind because we can't apply some of those arguments to other things that we might apply them to. So uh, all the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And it's amazing that uh, the people of God are amazed that the purpose of God is coming to pass. <laughs> the, purpose, the promise of Abraham is being fulfilled, right? This is who we are. This is our identity. And they're like, whoa, this is happening. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, the purpose of point here is not that speaking of tongues was evidence of the Holy Spirit. The point here is that speaking in tongues was an empowered testimony, a witness to the truth of what they were saying. And it was, it was, it was power. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Now, here we get flipped on our heads. The Holy Spirit falls and they're speaking in tongues, the purpose of God and they haven't been baptized in water yet. Luke's just telling it like it is. Right? We can't construct a theology of the Holy Spirit through these stories. Is this how it should happen then? No, we, that, that's, that's irrelevant to the text. What's happening is the purpose of God is being fulfilled, and we're trying to keep up. <laughs> we're trying to keep up, and God is just... <clears throat> in no uncertain way, saying, the time is now. The Gentiles are about to come into the, the kingdom as well. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Now, Peter reports all this. Um, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, now these are going to be Christians, well, really heretics, but they are Christians, Jewish Christians, who feel that everyone who becomes a Christian needs to be uh, brought into the Jewish, you know, basically made a Jew, circumcised and, and all the rest. When the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them, don't they, didn't they know Jesus? Didn't they hear what Jesus did? It's the same, you go to tax collectors and sinners. But Peter began and explained to them in order. So he, he, tells, the, he tells the story, and he says, uh, And then I remember the word of the Lord, verse 16, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard all these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they all come into agreement. Yes. And it's interesting how he says that. God has granted them repentance that leads to life. That phrase is always in my head when I'm, when I'm uh, sharing the gospel with someone. It's not like God is saying, all right, now, boom. He's giving you the opportunity to turn from the way that you're walking on and follow him in his way, which is what repentance is. He has granted you repentance. It's now possible for you to repent. Now, you've got to repent. And keeping with that repentance, that leads to life. Right? We always think of being saved as like this, are you in or out? Well, are you walking in repentance that leads to life? Because that's what we're all doing. That's what, the road, that's what the way is, is walking in repentance that leads to life. And we always, every day, we need to walk in repentance. Now, the church, now those who were scattered, this is verse 19, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Okay, so this Stephen thing was, was a major turning point in the spread of Christianity, in the spread of the gospel. They went all the way even to Antioch, which becomes the capital of the Gentile church and Paul's home base of all of his missionary journeys. Okay? Speaking the word to no one except Jews, but then this, this thing, this Gentile thing, it's going to reach Antioch as well. Um, and we'll finish, we'll finish here in, in, in chapter 11. There were some of them, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, um, preaching the Lord Jesus. So those were Gentiles. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is south, uh, and they say they sent them down to Antioch, but they didn't have a map like we do. Down meant elevation. So don't get confused there. They sent them north, down north <laughs> to Antioch. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad 
and he exhorted them all. So they send Barnabas. He seems to be able to discern where God is in all this. Let's send him, <laughs> let's send him to Antioch. Uh, when he came, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Isn't that cool? This is, this is happening. You know what? I think Saul, this is what God told Saul. I need to go find Saul. It's time for him to come out and do the work that God has called him to. I love Barnabas. Maybe I'll name my fourth son Barnabas. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Pretty cool. Now, in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So this is they came down, but that's, again, that's elevation. They went up, they went north. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so by sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Um, this famine becomes another great dispersion. And actually, if you uh, read First Peter, it says that he wrote his, his letter to the dispersion. So people who had been scattered about. Um, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll, verse 25 of, verse, of chapter 12 says, The word of God increased and multiplied. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and they brought with them John, Mark. Then they're at Antioch, and there's prophets and teachers, and it says in verse 2, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now the missionary journeys begin. So we've gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Stephen, Philip, Peter and Cornelius, and then in Antioch, and then Saul, Paul, comes back into the scene. Now he and Barnabas are about to go way far away and, 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 and do some some. Uh, ministry up even further north and west. Uh, so we'll pick up there next week. It's pretty awesome. I love Acts because it's so real. It's so tangible. It's like somehow it really drives home that, hey, this is what we're doing. Like this is still happening. The Holy Spirit that's in this book is active here as we gather. And as you guys go out on campus, the Holy Spirit is looking over you and, and empowering your words. Right? And you can look at people and call them, not convince them in the flesh, but call them by the Holy Spirit to repentance that leads to life. Um, so let's, you know, let's, let's receive this word as, as us. This is us. And the, and the gospel is continuing to spread. Um, yeah, I have a lot of hope these days that the Holy Spirit is for us. Um, and so don't be surprised that um, doors open for you, that people's hearts become softened, um, that God puts people in your life and, and it gives you opportunity to speak. In. We have prayed for this and the Holy Spirit is responding and he is, we need to keep walking in the Spirit, 
But don't be surprised at that. Just walk in obedience. Walk on the way. Amen? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you have included us in this incredible work of uh, spreading your kingdom, preaching the word. Thank you that you found us, that you sent someone to us, whether it was our, uh, a result of our parents coming to know you or uh, someone else speaking into our life. Thank you that you somehow got a hold of us through a human agent who was uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit and who was yielded to the Holy Spirit and who spoke to us the word and granted us uh, opportunities to repent and, and come to true life. So, Lord, help us to uh, keep that work going. Help us, to, um, help us to take all these opportunities that you place in our life and rely on the Holy Spirit uh, to speak boldly and to, uh, to lift up the name of Jesus and, and bring people into obedience. Uh, we, all, we receive that. We thank you for your word. Lord, keep us, from, uh, keep us from the sins of the flesh this week. Keep us from uh, satanic opposition. Deliver us from every evil, God, that would, that would come up in our lives, whether it's of our own making or of uh, a scheme of the enemy. And we pray that you would deliver us uh, from every temptation. And lead us not into temptation, Lord. Um, and we say, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Can I, can I press stop or, or 